0: Today, Pastor Javen concludes our series, Signs of the Times, where today we will see that our decision to either accept or or reject Christ as Savior as Lord has a destination. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. We are drawing a conclusion to the series that we've been in these last few weeks called uh, Signs of the Times. And I know that I probably have not answered every single question that you might have in regards to Jesus' second coming, the end times, end time prophecy, the book of Revelation. I, I haven't done that. And truth is, I can't do that. <laughs> but my hope, my, my, what, I, what I hope has happened is that as you've been hearing these messages and you've been uh, gleaning from the scriptures that we've been looking at, that, that you, you gain more hope from your life in Jesus Christ. And that you are encouraged that in this time, while we wait and we don't know when it'll be, but in this time, you're encouraged that you've got a call. You've got a call in the present until God comes back in the future, until Jesus comes back in the future. You have a call in the present. And so we've looked at a lot of different things. We started week one in, Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, and we started with Matthew's look because we're going to go back to Matthew today. But we, we looked at Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, all say the same thing. They were talking about the beauty of the temples, the disciples were. They're were talking about how beautiful they were. Jesus, you see our temples. And Jesus said, Yeah, they're beautiful. You know they're going to be destroyed. And, uh, and Jesus, then they asked Jesus the question, like, when, when will we know you're coming back? When will we know, when will, when will we be aware of, of, of you returning? And, and, um, and so he begins to give them signs and all the signs that he starts talking about. We're like, man, I've seen these things. These things are happening now. In fact, these things have been happening since the early church, since these guys that were around Jesus, they've been happening since then, but Jesus calls them labor pains. Anything we know about labor pains in pregnancy is that labor pains, they increase more and more and more. And they intensify more and more and more. And that's what's going to happen until Jesus returns. But the thing about labor pains is they produce birth. And birth brings forth the emergence of something wonderful. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the return of Christ. It's, it's the emergence of the kingdom of God in his glory. So what Jesus tells them is don't be deceived by things around you. And those people, those who will be saved well, those are those who will endure to the end. So we want to endure. We want to live every day with active anticipation, not passive pandering. We want to understand. We want to live every day as if it could happen today. But if we're given today, however much time we're given today, we have a purpose in this day, right? And that's to bring God glory and to give him glory until he comes in glory. So we open up the book of revelation the next week. And we said the book of revelation can be overwhelming, but before we see anything else in the book of revelation, we've got to see Jesus. We've got to see who Jesus is. It's who he is all through scripture. And we need to understand who Jesus is because understanding the vision of Jesus helps us as we approach the enemy that we talked about last week. But we see a Jesus in the book of revelation who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's not dead he's alive. He holds the keys to death and to hell. He is the worthy lamb of God that was slain for the whole world. He is the righteous judge of the earth. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the bridegroom that will return for his bride to take us home, to be with him, to live in eternity with him forever. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah who reigns over this entire kingdom. This it's Jesus. And we see him and we stand strong, encouraged in that. And with hope in him as the anchor of our faith, because we do have an enemy that we talked about last week. And he's a real enemy. And he is a spiritual enemy that's constantly attacking and constantly battling us because he does not want us to receive Christ. He does not want us to put our hope into Christ. He wants to destroy our hope. And by destroying our hope, he knows he can destroy us. But he is a real, he is a counterfeit to everything that God has established on this earth, he just counterfeits God, and he wants to deceive. And the thing that we we you know we often fear persecution, we fear the persecution of the world as followers of Christ. But what we should be more aware of is the seduction of the world, because that's how the enemy gets us. And that's how he lures us into his tracks. But we understand too that that enemy's already been defeated. And we overcome, as, as John saw in his revelation, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, the testimon- of, of that testimony. We overcome in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ, who gave his life and he died for us. And through that death and through that resurrection, that's how we overcome. We put our faith in that. And, that, and our testimony is rooted in that testimony of what Jesus has done for us. And that's how we overcome. So we're going to wrap up this week, and I know we want to know more about all this, and we want to know more about what the future looks like. You know, we wish, We wish we were like this guy in this picture that I brought this morning. We wish we were like this guy. Some of you might know who this guy is. Some of you are looking at that going, who in the world is this guy? All right, this guy is, is a guy by the name of Biff. He was a character in Back to the Future, right? See, before Marvel, all right, they, some of you are like, what's Marvel? But, but we're like, what are you talking about with Marvel? Before Marvel and the multiverse uh, universe and all that, uh, you know, and all these timelines and going to the future and coming back, there was Back to the Future, right? These, these, there was Marty McFly. There was Doc, right? And they went back in time, you know? And then, we'll see, Biff found out all about what they did. And so in the second movie, we see that Biff went back in time and found a sports almanac, that had, or, or, or he found a sports almanac and then went back in time and gave that sports almanac which gives scores to all these future games to his younger self. And he tells him, bet on these games, and you're going to make a lot of money. So he does, and he makes a lot of money. So that's future Biff in all his wealth. But he also messes things up because if we knew everything about the future, we'd probably mess it all up. Right, I mean that's just what what would happen. There's three words in scripture I want us to understand this morning. You may already understand them. You already may know, but there's foreknowledge, there's prophecy, and there's sovereignty. Right, foreknowledge, prophecy, and sovereignty. Foreknowledge is that God foreknows the future. God knows what's going to happen because God, God doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time. There is no beginning and end. God is beginning and the end. Okay. And so God lives. He works in time, but he sees outside of time. He lives outside of time. He knows what's happening way before it happens. Right? So he has foreknowledge, but then there's prophecy. Prophecy is when the God who knows the future reveals the future through voices of his servants and people speak prophetically from God. And we see that happen all throughout scripture. We see prophets step up and speak about things that are going to happen. And we see throughout history, how those prophets that spoke these things, those things came to pass, right? So you've got foreknowledge and you've got prophecy, but you've also got sovereignty. Sovereignty is that God is in control of all of it. That God takes everything and he works it towards his good purposes. See, he, he is not a God that wills evil. He's not a God that creates evil and says it gives evil instruction and direction to our lives. He is a God that takes evil that exists because of sin. And even though what evil meant for bad and for destruction, God can take that evil and repurpose it for his good. And we see him do that all the time. So we see these things play out through Scripture. We see these things happen. We see God, who knows the future, knows what's going to happen, speak through his prophets. We see it in the Old Testament. We see him speak to His through his prophets to the nation of Israel and give them warnings. If you don't change this, this is going to happen. This is going to play out because of the way you're living. So he's using the prophets and he's speaking things out. Well, they don't listen. But God in his sovereignty, he works everything out, right? For his good purposes. We see prophets speak about a coming Messiah. Hundreds of prophecies about a coming Messiah. And we see that coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies that came out. God in his foreknowledge saw or knew that this was going to take place. This was already the plan. So he spoke that plan through the prophets. And it played out. And for those that aren't receiving it, for evil that's still existing, God is still in His sovereignty working all that out for His good. Jesus, who was prophesied about, He was came and He made prophecies. Like we said a second ago, He told the disciples those temples were going to be destroyed. In 70 AD, they were destroyed. He told His listeners, He said that because many of you are not receiving me as the Messiah, it's going to be a time of the Gentiles. That's what we see scripture talk about. The gospels talk about there's a time of the Gentiles and there is that time. And Jesus prophesied and said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to return. And so we believe that and we put our hope in that and we hold on to that. As followers of Christ, we've got to remain focused on the promises of Christ. That's what we have to do. See, a lot of the problem with, with biblical prophecy is that. We are pressing biblical prophecy to say more than what it's actually said. And the thing about biblical prophecy, the thing about the prophecy and the things that God has revealed is that God has revealed enough to give us hope. But he hasn't revealed so much that we don't still need to have faith. We have faith in the one who is our hope. So we know that he's returning because he's promised he is. And here's what we know, and this is what I want to talk about today, that the choice that we make, whether we receive him as Savior and Lord of our life, the choice that we make in that regards, whether to receive him or reject him, that choice has a destination. And so I want us to look at that today. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. And if you've got your Bibles, that's always awesome. Matthew chapter 25. Look at what this says, what Jesus said. This is why we're going back to Matthew, because Matthew goes after that Olivet Discourse that we call it, that we talked about. Matthew goes in and shares more of what Jesus shared in some parables and some stories and about the future. Where Mark and Luke don't necessarily hit on those things. They go more straight into his uh, uh, arrest, his death, and his resurrection. But Matthew chapter 25, we see this from Jesus Matthew tells us, verse 31, Jesus says these words, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you Or thirsty and give you something to drink. Or a stranger and show you hospitality. Or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you. You cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. You see who it was prepared for, right? Okay. And this is what we talked about last week, Revelation 18, 17, 18. And in those areas, this is where the dragon and the beast, the two beasts, this was their home. Okay. This is the place God made for them. All right. He says, but away with you, you cursed ones and the eternal, are prepared for them. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So Jesus is speaking here about a judgment, about this judgment that's going to take place in eternity. Remember, when he came in his first coming, when he was there this time talking to them, he told, he was very clear. I did not come in this first coming. I did not come to judge, Right. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is just stocked with a, a lot of good stuff. This was the conversation Jesus was having with a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus, who genuinely seemed to want to know more about why Jesus was there. And Scripture seems to point to the fact that Nicodemus is one of these Pharisees, one of these religious leaders that ended up following Christ as, or following Jesus as Christ, as the Messiah. Okay, so, But he's having this conversation. He's telling him, I did not come to judge. I did not come to condemn. All right, that's In his first coming, that's not what he came to do. But in his second coming, he does come to judge. And he will judge those that did not receive him for the salvation that he brought in his first coming. All right, And so this is where we are, and this is what he's talking about. A couple of things I want to point out that we see through script, Scripture. The Bible kind of speaks in pairs, and he speaks in, in, in things as if there's two. All right? We see two births. We see two deaths. We see two resurrections. Right, two births. We, we see in Scripture that there's a natural birth. We all have had a natural birth. Okay, if, if you didn't realize that, you were born. You it's a natural birth. Okay, you don't remember it, but that happened. Okay, it was a natural birth. Scripture speaks of a spiritual birth. Again, that conversation with Nicodemus, John chapter three, this is what Jesus is saying. You have got to be born again. This is a spiritual birth of receiving who Christ is, who Jesus is as Christ, as the Messiah. Okay. And so there's this, so all of this happens in our timeline. There's a natural birth and we need to have a spiritual birth. Then scripture seems to talk about two deaths. There's a natural death and then there is an eternal death. Right, And a natural death is what, what happens in, in this life when our loved ones pass away. Many of us have experienced that, and it's tragic, and we, we, it's, it's, it's hard on us. right? But if we are in Christ, the hope is that that's the only death we have. And for some, Scripture says that they won't even experience a natural death because they'll get to one of the resurrections we're going to talk about in just a second before they get to a natural death. But the thing is that I see through Scripture is you want to have two births, one death, not one birth, two deaths, okay? Then there's two resurrections that Scripture seems to point to. And you've got... The resurrection, the first resurrection, is what many refer to as the rapture. Rapture is not necessarily a word that you see throughout Scripture, but this is what it's been called. It's called the rapture, the resurrection of His church. And then there is a second resurrection that the Scripture seems to speak of when Jesus returns, and all those who, and it's a resurrection of all those who remain. Well, what is the timetable on all of that? When is all this happening? How is all this playing out? In fact, Matthew twenty five. Uh, Matthew twenty five. I didn't mention this in the first service, but this is interesting. There's a there's a lot of things that the questions that come around this conversation of Jesus and what Jesus was saying about the judgment. Because if you notice, Jesus is saying he separates them, and he says the ones that are righteous are the ones are, are, are separated and called righteous because of what they did for others, and the ones that are separated and and called cursed are the are called that because of what they didn't do for others. And right, But our salvation, the context of Scripture tells us that, that we are saved by grace in Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus Christ as our source of salvation. We're not saved and, and, and separated based on our works, right? And so if we look at the whole context of Scripture, but here's the thing about salvation. When we're saved by Christ, there should be a revelation of that salvation through the transformation that we have in our life. All right. There should be something about us that reflects the salvation of Jesus Christ in our life, the way we live, how we treat and namely how we treat others. Jesus summed it all up. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he says to love others. And before he left, he looked at his disciples and through scripture, he looks at us and he says a new command. I give you love one another. How? How I, Jesus said, how I have loved you. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you are loving people the way that I loved you. You're showing that I have, your life was changed by me. And there's others that talk about that. That judgment may be in that second resurrection. It's that second resurrection where Jesus is looking and making this judgment of separating those, right? There's a lot of things. When is this timetable? When is this all taking place? What? Well, it all depends on who you ask. Because some people you ask and they're saying, well, you've got pre-tribulation where we're going to be taken, the rapture and all that. The church is taken before any of the tribulation. We're removed from that. Some say, well, we're mid-tribulation. It happens in the middle of it. Some say, well, it's post-tribulation. It's at the end of all of that. Right? And then it's like, well, where's the false with antichrist and false prophet. Well, that depends. Okay, are you amillennial? Are you premillennial? Are you postmillennial? Are you a dispensationalist where you believe that within the thousand year reign, the millennial, that all of this is happening and their rise is coming before that. It's coming in the middle of that. It's coming at the end of that. Maybe we're living in the thousand year reign right now. Maybe the thousand years is not literal. Maybe it's metaphorical. We don't know exactly how long that. Is your head spinning yet? Right? Because, that, I mean, that's the, that's the conversation that goes around this. God has revealed enough to give us hope. <laughs> but not so much that we don't still have to have faith. Right? So it, it, we don't necessarily know all that. But what we do know through Scripture is these things happen. And another thing we know is there appears to be two judgments and two destinations. Right? Right? So that's where I'm going to spend the remainder of time. Two judgments, two destinations. We're going to start with the ones we want to avoid. Okay? You've got what Scripture calls the judgment of the great white throne. Okay? This is what Revelation speaks of. It's what some of the other end-time prophecies speak. But most scholars believe that followers of Christ are not at this judgment seeing those that they might know or recognize them being, uh, being cursed or, or receiving their judgment. Revelation 20 talks about this. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, speaks of this. That This is where God opens up the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, and names that are not in the Lamb's book of life, that they receive their destination of a lake of fire. Scripture also refers to this as Hades or or hell, right? But again, what did Jesus say in Matthew 25? Who was this place prepared for? It was prepared for the devil, Right? And, and, and these beasts, that's who it's prepared for, but that's ends up being their destination because they choose to not accept Jesus Christ as the lamb that was sacrificed. So the name is not in the Lamb's book of life. And that becomes their destination. Now that's a tragic ending, right? Now here's, what's also tragic is that most people don't believe or don't understand that that's our default destination now. And that's where we get quiet, right? Because we're like, why? God is a loving God. God is a good God. Why is that a default destination? But remember, God did not create hell for us. He created us for heaven. Man's rebellion that started with Adam and Eve has destined us for hell. Again, well, that doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound like a loving God. If God is good, why would that, why would he even allow that to become our default destination? How can he send people there? How can he make that happen? But see, the thing is, that punishment that we're supposed to receive doesn't have to be our punishment. Because now, thanks to God and the new, thanks to Jesus Christ and the new covenant that he established when he came to this earth. He came and he took our punishment on himself so that we could receive his righteousness. Not So when God is looking at us, he's not seeing our sinful nature. He's seeing the righteousness of Christ on us covered because he took our punishment. If, If something's not fair, it's the fact that an innocent man by the name of Jesus gave his life on a cross to take our punishment in order to give us righteousness so that we don't have to receive that punishment. That's God's grace and that's his mercy. He provided a way in the old covenant, but Jesus is the way now through the new covenant. See, God is fair and God is just, and he's made a way for us in his fairness. But if we choose to ignore that way and think we know better, and we choose to ignore that way... Then he will judge with justice and he will separate everything that is evil and everything that is dark and everything that is sinful. We pray, God, why can't you remove the world of sin and evil? He, he will one day. But he's patient because he wants all that will to be saved. It's not his will for us to perish. But in his justice, one day he will separate sin and separate evil. And if we are not covered under the righteousness of Christ, believing and trusting him as our salvation, then we're part of that. Because our sin nature is not covered under his righteousness. So, that's that destination and that's that judgment. But that's one we don't have to be a part of. There's another judgment that scripture speaks about and another destination the other judgment is called uh, is, is the throne room of god is often referred to as the bema seat the bema seed. Scripture, when you're reading, depending on what translation you're reading, it doesn't always translate this as bema. Some translations do use that word, but it is it's in Greek. It's bema is the word. In Second Corinthians chapter five. Paul talks predominantly about this in, Re- in Romans chapter twelve when, he, uh, or Romans chapter fourteen. Excuse me, when he's having his conversation with them about how they're living and things like that, he kind of throws in between in verses ten to twelve of Romans chapter fourteen uh, this topic of the Bema seat. to see, all throughout Paul's letters, he uses these imageries. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in another series. He uses this imagery of Greek games and of races, right? And, and this Greek word, Bema, this was a seat where the judge would sit in these games. This was not a seat, that, a judgment seat that where someone pronounced judgment of innocent or guilty. This was a seat where the judge would sit on it and he would give rewards after the races. Right, and so Luke fourteen fourteen, Jesus Luke uh, writes about words that Jesus said where he would uh, people would be given rewards in heaven. In Matthew sixteen twenty seven, we see Jesus talking about people being rewarded in heaven for the things that they did on earth. In First Corinthians chapter three, Paul seems to be making this reference to the same type of rewarding that's taking place. The bema seat is not a seat of judgment of. Damnation or salvation is a replace of rewarding you for what you've done. Now, again, it's not our works that qualify us for heaven. When you look at the context of scripture and the context of everything that's there, we are saved through Jesus Christ alone, believing in his work and what he's done for us on the cross through his death, through his resurrection, that brings us salvation. That is our salvation. But scripture points to something that says the works that we do upon our salvation for him, for his kingdom, for his glory, there is reward for that in heaven. Now, I don't understand how all that looks. I don't know how all that is placed. I do know that scripture talks about that those who receive crowns on their heads, you know what they do? They take those crowns and they go and put them right back at the feet of Jesus. So I don't know how all that looks, but I do know that all of us who are covered in Christ, we all receive the greatest reward. And that is eternity in the presence of of God, our Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, in a new heaven and a new earth. It is a place that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, Scripture says, of what God has prepared for us. Jesus told His disciples, He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for everyone who will come to the Father through me. He says, I'm going to make that place and prepare it for you. And so he has prepared a place for us that we never have to suffer again. where we are no longer under the curse of sin and in the presence of sin and in the presence of evil. We are only in the presence of our father and his son, Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, sadly, some think that this place is boring. Some think heaven sounds miserable. Why would you want to go to a place where all you do is stand and sing all the time, and that's what they think it is. I made the comment this in the first service where why people think why would you go to a place where people you're just sweaty around a bunch of people standing and singing and they someone came to me after and said, "You sweat in heaven? I don't know. I said that's what people think is right I mean, if that's God's way of keeping us cool, then yeah, maybe, but Right, but but here's here's the thing. There's people that have this thought. There was a science fiction writer uh, by the name of uh, uh, what was his name? Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov. But he was a science fiction writer. He was uh, agnostic, I believe. But he he makes this statement that basically is a reference to what many people believe. He says, "I don't believe in an afterlife." And so because he doesn't believe there's an afterlife, he says, I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven, even for that matter, or even more. He says, for whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. This is his mentality. And sadly, that's the mentality of many. But that is a sad misunderstanding of eternity and of heaven. And listen, scripture, not we read this scripture and then we look at what's happened throughout history and we see how the things that throughout history line up with what we have seen happen throughout scripture. And we see about this man, Jesus, who came that history has not negated. He lived, he existed on this earth. Many of other religions say, talk about Jesus who existed on this earth, but we see this Jesus who died and resurrected again and had hundreds of witnesses to his resurrection and nothing in cross history has. been able to refute that resurrection. So we believe in this Jesus Christ and we believe in this word. And because we believe in that, we believe that heaven is represented in a much different way. And because we believe in that and something that's not been able for thousands of years to be refuted. And we choose to believe in that. If you choose to believe that doesn't exist, sorry, but your belief that that doesn't exist doesn't mean you can't fear it. I believe it's there. And so I believe, because what I've seen through this word and the description of what we see, heaven is remarkable. i give you a few things about what we see through scripture about heaven. And with heaven, there is a renewal. Revelation 21 tells us that there is a new heaven and a new earth. Paul talks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talks about these new bodies that we get. Man, some of us hear that and we're like, oh yeah, that's awesome, right? I've shared this before. Some of you may not have heard me share this. When my kids were younger, we were talking about new bodies, you know, because someone had passed away. So we're talking about this and people getting new bodies. And one of my kids said, well, when, when I get a new body in heaven, I want mine to be tan. I want a tan body. That's, that's awesome. That's, maybe God will give you a tan body. That'd be great. But what, what do we know about? What do we know about this? N. T. Wright, a great English theologian, he says that we can look at Jesus after his resurrection and we can kind of get an idea of what this looks like. He had a body because people saw him, right? He was a resurrected body. He communed with people, he ate with people. They didn't all recognize him right away. But once they heard him and heard his heart and experienced time with him, they realized who this was, but they communed with him. They ate with him. But the thing about his body is his body didn't seem to have the limitations that our bodies have. And I'm, he was experiencing things in, in, in a much more beautiful way. Pleasures for him were strengthened. Limitations were removed. Think about this. There are things in this world and this earth that we travel to go see and to experience because of how beautiful they are. We want to look at them. We want to be around them. We want to see them. We want to enjoy them. they are pleasures in this life. There's things in this life that we love. We love, right? I love chocolate chip cookies. It's my absolute favorite. I, I, it's basic. It's simple. But my word, I love it. And if somebody makes them, I'll eat every single one that's sitting right in front of me. I love. That's, just, that's sinful. But, the, but, but it's beautiful. It is a beautiful taste. And that my nature, I fight it. I try to die daily to it. But you think, I say, I'm, I, there's so many things on this world that are so beautiful and so enjoyable for us. And this earth is cursed. This is the cursed version. Think about what the other version is. Think about the beauty of all that we can enjoy in a renewed heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Think, don't miss. Don't, don't become so in love with the beauty of this world that you miss the glory of the next. There's a, there's a renewal. There's a renewal. There's a reunion. There's a reunion. There's, there is when, when, when the family of God is, re, is reunited with our heavenly father and with one another and there never has to be heartache through saying goodbye ever again. There is reunion, there's renewal, there is reunion, and there is release. There is release. Scripture tells you that, that he will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more problems. There will be no more stress. There will be no more fear. There will be no more worry. There will be no more depression. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more things that battle and wage in our minds. There will be no more misunderstandings with one another. No more conflicts. No more fight. No more angst with one another. There is a release from all of that. And right now, Scripture tells us that there's times in our life where we have to resist the devil. That's what we sang about this morning. We resist the devil. And what does it tell us? He does. He flees. When we resist the devil in the name of Jesus, he flees. So there's a time for that now. But there's a time coming when there's a release from that. We've been saved from the punishment of sin now. But there's a day coming where we are released from the presence and the power of sin and evil altogether. There is renewal, there is reunion, there is release, and there is the reward of eternity in paradise with our heavenly Father. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote his books, Chronicles of Narnia, some of you maybe have read those, some of you have seen the movies, but in his seventh book, and is writing the end of this, he's telling the end of the whole story of the characters there, And he makes this statement. I believe it's such great imagery of eternity. He says, for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever. And in every chapter, it's better than the one before. And that's, that's eternity. And here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves, there is a desire for that in your heart. There is a desire for something in you that longs for something like that. There's a desire in you that longs for meaning. That's why we chase the things that we chase in this life. Because we're trying to get meaning for our life. And these desires that are in us, these desires that we have, these are not just desires that are there because of some kind of chemicals that are going in our brain and manufacturing these things. Although that plays a part, but that plays a part because you were created by an amazing God that created you in an amazing way. But Solomon, who is said to be one of the wisest men outside of Jesus to ever live... He writes in the book of Ecclesiastes and right after he talks about how there's a season for everything in this life under the sun, he makes this statement in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, he said, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. And then he says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. See, we can't see it Yet. But there's a longing for that in us. There's a longing for what we know about. It. So the whole reason eternity and, end, and the end of life and afterlife is talked about by everybody. Not just by those who are followers of Christ and by reading his word. It's those in every religion, in every aspect of life. Whether they're atheists, agnostic, non-believers, whatever. They all talk about it. Why? Because it's put in them. And you have a, you have a thought about eternity because you were created by an eternal God. He created you and he set that in you. That is the destination he wants us to have. And that's the judgment he wants us to be a part of. So let me just remind you, as we wrap all this up, we put a little bow on it and we worship God and we begin our week. Let me just remind you of the application that we have in our life until Christ does come back. If that's in our lifetime or until we experience our death. When Paul was talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he was talking about resurrection. He was talking about resurrected bodies. He was talking about all that taking place. He ends this part of his letter. And we see it at the end of chapter 15. He ends this thing. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord because you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Be strong, be immovable, work enthusiastically for God and for His glory. That's the goal. I said it a couple of weeks ago. At the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus, we said, we see He's saying the same thing that He's been saying since the beginning. Come to him, come to him. That's his call because he wants you to come to him and receive the salvation that he's offered for you. He wants you to come to him and receive what he did through the cross and through his resurrection. Come to him. And the thing is, if we receive that call to come to him, then once we receive that call, we receive another call. And that call is to echo the call of Christ that says, come to him. So that's why we have to stay strong and immovable in our faith. But when you have a hope in an anchor, who is Jesus Christ, someone who we saw revealed in Revelation the way we did in week two, that gives you a strong hope to stand in and to remain immovable and to work enthusiastically for his glory until he returns in his glory with active anticipation, not passive pandering. Right? Stand with me this morning. Father, we are so thankful for your word, we're so thankful for what you revealed to us. And God, I pray today that our hearts open to receive it. And we understand it, God. Father, I pray today for anyone in this room, anyone that may watch online, that does not know you as Savior and Lord of their life. Today will be the day that they come to proclaim you as Savior and Lord of their life. And that their life will begin to change. They'll begin begin to live a new life in you. Father, for those of us in here, God, that, that that may have already proclaimed you as Savior and Lord of our life. God, help us to live every day to speak the name of Jesus to speak it from the mountains, to speak it from the streets because it's the name of Jesus that's the only thing that's going to break every stronghold of the enemy, of the enemy that we face on a day-to-day life that's going to break that, God. It's the name of Jesus. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of that testimony of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we speak the name of Jesus to declare victory. And we call others the same way that He's called us. Come, come, to Him, because their salvation is not found in any other place but in Jesus Christ. So we worship you today, God. As we close out this time of worship, I just want to encourage you. If you've never made Jesus your Savior and Lord today, I just encourage you to do that. Believe. Scripture says, believe in your heart that He is the Messiah. He is the one that came to give His life. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. And he did it for you and for your salvation. Believe Jesus is real. Believe Jesus did that for you. And then confess him as Lord of your life is what scripture says. And you repent in doing that. And you turn your life away from everything else of the sin and everything else that's been controlling your life. And you give it to God and you give it to the Lord. And you live your life the best you can for him to bring him glory. So I encourage you today as we go into this song, speak the name of Jesus. Cry out the name of Jesus and make him your savior.